It's Thursday, February 20th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill with me in studio, Mr. Bill Barker. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Um, the news ferry showed up. The news ferry was busy this morning, and we'll, we'll get to Domino's earnings. And holy cow, was that impressive! But let's start with the the big deal of the day, and that is Morgan Stanley buying E-Trade. This is an all stock deal. It is valued at thirteen billion dollars, and this shouldn't be super surprising, I guess, when you think about the ripple effects of last year. When Schwab said, "Yeah, we're going to cut our trading commissions to zero, and cut to however many months later, and E Trade's like, "Yeah, yeah, we'll uh, we'll we'll let ourselves be acquired for that price." Yeah, E Trade has uh, grown into a large uh, large company with plenty of money in it and plenty of uh, assets and accounts, but having really built its model around. Take control of your finances by trading stocks, and you know that that portion of the business being making money off of every single one of those trades gone. Uh, they needed uh, sort of a new business model to to marry up to, and and they found one. I was a little surprised to see right at the open this morning, shares of Morgan Stanley were down like four or five percent. I just, you know, in in my limited. Analysis. I thought um, I, I'm I'm not sure. You know, that's not a huge drop, and it is it has come back up from there. I think when right before the we walked in the studio, I checked. It was like maybe only down one and a half percent. But you know, it seems like a good deal for Morgan Stanley. They think they can get half a billion dollars out of quote unquote synergies over the next three years, um, and the resulting firm is going to have three trillion dollars worth of assets. I mean, their ability to sort of use the deposits within E Trade um, to help fund their lending operation. I don't know. It, it, it seems like a good deal for Morgan Stanley. All right. Well, up until recently, uh, the the standard movement of stocks on an acquisition would be the acquiring company went down and the acquired company went up. So, I think. That's one thing to remember is that an acquirer having its stock go down is not all that unusual. And I think the implication from the market's initial reaction, which, as you pointed out, might be more muted as the day goes along, is that this was an acquisition of assets, but maybe you paid more than you had to. It's not a jaw dropping price. But I think Goldman Sachs has come out and sort of Promoted themselves by saying that they built their own uh, funnel of, of similar assets for Marcus, and you know that maybe Morgan Stanley is overpaying compared to, you know, what the market rate is for a, a pile of assets and a, and a business and a platform as well that comes along with those assets. But really, the value seems to be that whereas E Trade. Uh, people fund their accounts. They leave a certain amount of money in in cash, and E Trade pays them pretty little for that, and invests that into largely mortgage backed securities. And now that spread, which is pretty tight and going to remain tight in a low interest rate environment, they can bring that over to Morgan Stanley, who need assets uh, because they like to lend to uh, richer people that uh, will end up paying a little bit more and are, are borrowing the money 
uh, with a little bit more risk than the mortgage-backed security market that E-Trade was getting all of its revenues from, basically, the, the, the float, the spread on that. You're absolutely right. Uh, Thank you. Next topic. <laughs> Let's end there. Um, there was a first. Um, no, I was going to say, you're absolutely right that, all things being equal, the average deal uh, of two public companies, the acquiring company, their stock drops a little bit. I was surprised at the amount that it had dropped. Um, but you're right, no one should be surprised that it dropped a little bit. By the same token, no one should be surprised that Goldman Sachs, a direct competitor of Morgan Stanley, came out and said, we think you overpaid for that. And by the way, here's our thing, which we built ourselves. I mean, no disrespect to Goldman Sachs, but if they think that Marcus has a, a better has better visibility and name identification than E-Trade, they're fooling themselves. Well, there's uh, there's about fifty billion um, in in markets according to the, what I've read, and so that's a little bit more than E-Trade. Okay, E-Trade has got the name recognition, it's got the brand, but people associate it with stock trading, which is now free. So. The where the brand goes is going to be interesting. Uh, you know, once upon a time, it was scaled around uh, commercials of babies trading stocks. <laughs> That's true. Why, For those that, that remember the E Trade baby, uh, that was a, a focus of, of the company for years, and a good advertising campaign. Um, you just reminded me the um, the CEO from Morgan Stanley was uh, being interviewed on CNBC this morning, and talked about. Uh, he was asked, uh, "When did you first start having these conversations with E-Trade?" And he said, "Well, to be perfectly honest, back in 2002, when I was at Merrill Lynch, and I was impressed. And at that point, I just stopped listening to what he said because I was uh, reminded, like, oh right, Merrill Lynch—that was a brand that used to exist. And you know, to your point about E-Trade, we'll see where the brand still exists, we'll Merrill Lynch." The brand exists. Uh, I'm pretty sure B of A is is methodically um, get, eliminating the Merrill Lynch brand. I'm just saying it exists. <laughs> you can you, can, you the, can go to there are Merrill Lynch accounts. There there are and billions of dollars there now. That you one of the reasons for that may be that you've got a generation that trusts. The name Merrill. Um, not that you're trying to draw new assets in necessarily under that, but you're not going to eliminate that brand as quickly as you might think, because there are piles of money there that are maybe not paying close attention, but like the association that they have with with that brand. I don't think it's going away quickly. I just think it's going away, <laughs> and the evidence. Points to the fact that it's going away. Let's move on to Domino's Pizza. Shares are up 25% this morning after a really strong fourth quarter report. Domino's same store sales were up 3.4%. That's not a lot, but that is a good percentage point more than Wall Street was expecting. The last time Domino's Pizza had negative same store sales, it was the spring of 2011. This thing has just been a machine for the past decade. It's been a machine. It's taken a little uh, breather as a stock over about the last year and a half, but uh, the bear case kind of crumbled today. And I was reading a uh, fairly brave, I would say, uh, Deutsche Bank report um, from back in December where the analysts had. Uh, it, you know, covered uh, Domino's with a sell rating, which is pretty rare. And then the stock was about 290. They had a price target of 208. 
So they're having a pretty tough day today. Two months later, seeing the stock at 360. Uh, but the the case, and as I say, fairly brave. They they set out their uh, you know their rationale was that the uh, comps would uh, continue to decelerate, even though they'd had positive comps, that the, the numbers were trending in the wrong way. And I think that today's announcement, with a reiteration of the guidance for the next two years, really um, has undermined that. Uh, obviously, the, the stock is reacting that way. And I think a lot of people are probably covering short positions, um, because the, the performance today was not that out of line, not 24% right. out of line with expectations. I think this is going to be a, a, a slightly uh, short-fueled uh, rally, short-covering-fueled. Rich Allison has been CEO for less than two years. He took over the summer of 2018 uh, for Patrick Doyle. Um, you, you like to say from time to time that one of the great things in life, maybe the greatest thing in life, is having an easy act to follow. Rich Allison had a really tough act to follow, and so far he's doing pretty darn well uh, following Patrick Doyle. Yeah, it's it's, and I think that okay, there have been a few challenges recently with the expansion of uh, you know other food delivery uh, services and a lot of uh, price cutting and competition uh, to try to you know get the food delivered for the lowest price possible and cut into the you know the pizza business. I think there were some questions about whether that would be successful. Those questions today seem to be. Answered by pizza still having a, a you know the largest and, and strongest share of the delivery food market and and so I think that some of the questions uh, that have been out there have been answered today. Domino's has really been doing a phenomenal job of getting out there online, uh, being in front of the competition, and just having better better metrics about its its customers than the competition. It really shows the value of the investments Domino's has made over the past decade in technology, in its mobile ordering system. Um, also, I, I, you know, Uber Eats is not its own separate company. DoorDash is not a public company. But if you are looking at DoorDash and the Uber Eats division of Uber and predicting great success for them, just know that on some small level, you're betting against pizza. And in America, historically, that hasn't been a bet that has paid off. Pizza still really popular here in America. No, nobody nobody has ever made a fortune betting against pizza. <laughs> just just the opposite. So they're they're continuing to grow, and to go back to the you know the pain being felt by these Deutsche Bank analysts today, the the sort of the thesis was okay the declining. Uh, increased comps uh, are going to result in a slowing down of the store count, uh, you know, increase, and uh, that is just not happening. You're seeing 500 uh, openings uh, over the last quarter, so uh, globally, so that's about 130, 146 U.S., 380 uh, around the rest of the globe. Um, 500, a couple closed, but a net increase of almost 500, giving them 17,000 stores around the world. That's not McDonald's, but boy, they're growing. Yeah. They're growing at a healthy clip. You use the word brave to describe the uh, analyst note from uh, the people at Deutsche Bank. Do you suppose the colleagues of, and I don't know who wrote this report, but do you think when you, 
I'm just going to assume it was a guy who wrote the report, just because uh, the math suggests that there are. Uh, doesn't even suggest the math is that there are way more uh, male analysts than female analysts. But do you suppose like what, like Chad? Wow, what a brave call on your part. Yeah, I don't want to compare the bravery here to say that of firefighters or police <laughs> first officers, or first responders. Right? No, we're not doing that. Military. We're just saying in the context of analysts, <laughs> in, the, like... in, the, in the extremely warped sense that one can be brave in the financial profession of Wall Street, uh, this this counts because you know the the path of least resistance is to issue buy reports, and the second uh, least resistant path is a hold. And there are, are forces working against you, not just of looking foolish when you're out there on your own and you've issued to sell, but but you know in investment banking uh, interests that you're also jeopardizing when you issue a sell. Now there's supposed to be you know a Chinese wall between the analysts and the, the investment bankers and you know maybe there is, maybe there isn't. But uh, Today, uh, that bravery is not translating into uh, rewards. So I, I think that uh, that will be another reason why the uh, future analysts will continue to hug, uh, you know, the the buy and the hold as as their top two choices by far. I guarantee you that no one at Deutsche Bank is going by Chad's desk today and and calling him brave. They're just walking by and they're like, "Thanks, Chad." Thanks. <laughs> um, uh, one quick thing before we move on to L Brands and the mystery that it continues to be L Brands, um, we've got a free investing starter kit. I know that some of our listeners are are just getting started invested uh, investing in stocks, and so we have a uh, an investing starter kit. It's free. You can go to fool.com/starterkit, um, and it's this really great 15-page report that sort of covers everything from. Saving money, your 401k plan, how to set up a brokerage account, buying your first stock, um, and it includes five stocks from our investing team to sort of uh, give you a, a little watch list to get you started. Um, and it's free, so you can check it out by going to fool.com/starterkit. If you're an experienced investor, but you know someone who's looking to get started, maybe a, a, a niece or a nephew or, or one of your kids or just someone else, you can point them there as well. Um, L Brands is the parent company of Victoria's Secret, Bath and Body Works, and Pink. And for months, we've seen this report that L Brands is going to spin off Victoria's Secret. They're just going to sell it off. Um, this morning, we get this report that L Brands is. Not going to spin off Victoria's Secret or sell it outright, but they're they're going to sell a controlling stake of it to Sycamore Partners, which is a private equity firm. What is this? Like what? Like like whatever case could have been made for buying shares of L Brands in the past, it seems like that case is a lot more complicated because now a private equity firm is going to have a controlling stake of one part. Uh, so let's let's quote uh, the press release to start with uh, assessing how much sense it makes. And uh, here's here's the finishing part. We believe that as a private company, Victoria's Secret will be better able to focus on longer term results. Uh, we are pleased that by retaining a significant ownership stake, our shareholders will have the ability to meaningfully participate in the upside potential of these iconic brands. And and preceding that is a discussion of the uh, focus and the, the fresh eyes that uh, 
you know the Sycamore Partners will will bring to it. And I think that okay, try to make the the bull case for why this makes sense and why this is something that shareholders should like. Uh, L Brands, and, and, and I'll just interrupt by saying at the moment, based on what's happening with L Brands stock, it doesn't appear that investors like this. It was down at the open. It's it's basically flat right now. There's no rush from Wall Street to say, "Holy cow, do we love this?" Yeah, I think they were looking for a better price, and I think that uh, L Brands, which has I think around seven billion in annual sales, sorry, uh, Victoria's Secret, uh, nevertheless only is being valued at a billion dollars, and that is just not much, and and sort of underscores the. Problems that this brand is facing. It's it, it, part of the release was that the same store sales for Victoria's Secret were down 10% in the fourth quarter, and the other brand that L Brands has is is Bath and Body Works, and that was up 10%. So this is not entirely attributable to oh mall traffic, right? Or what, what are you doing online? They both have online operations. Bath and Body Works. Doing very well, 10% comps. That's awfully good. And you know, Victoria's Secret down 10%. They just have completely blown it on on the fashion, and and they need a fresh pair of eyes to take this, I think, still valuable brand and make it profitable. And that maybe has to come through somebody. Sycamore has bought a number of other brands in the retail space, and so they're focused on this. But it is clear that L Brands was bringing Victoria's Secret in the wrong direction. To your point about Sycamore, yeah, you look at the brands they have in their portfolio: Nine West, Stuart Weitzman, Aeropostale, yeah. So I, I suppose that's part of the bull case as well, but so so now if I'm buying shares of L Brands, is it much more um, a, driven by the belief that Bath and Body Works is going to continue to put up maybe not ten percent comps quarter after quarter, but positive comps? Well, because now L Brands becomes much more about Bath and Body Works. Yeah. Well, before you were buying Bath and Body Works and Victoria's Secret slash Pink, and now you're buying half, forty five percent. Let's call it half of Victoria's Secret and Bath and Body Works. So yeah, your your relative investment is mostly into Bath and Body Works. And what if all goes according you know to plan? What might go well for Victoria's Secret is the ability. To take this thing private, make the cuts that are going to be necessary, and just be able to to do it with a focus on the long term, and not have to explain every quarter. Okay, you know, when are comps going to turn around? And to have that pressure on you, if they can take a long term view of this, uh, that the public ownership of Victoria's Secret was not allowing, according to this logic, then, yeah, I think there is value in in the brand name, and they just need to... They need somebody else to figure out how to unlock that value, because they're not doing it. Uh, Before we wrap up... They can can blame the public ownership structure, 
and and that's certainly true to a degree that that quarterly results and annual results and, and guidance factor into your stock price and you've, you're answering to your your shareholders um, but you know ultimately uh, this is a management a series of management mistakes before we wrap up on L brands um, I did spend a minute on the Bath and Body Works website uh, checking out the new uh, candle scents, and something occurred to me because we we have some fun. We over the years we've had some fun with the the names of the scented candles at Bath and Body Works, but here are three of the new scents: Daydream, Endless Weekend, and Blueberry Pie. And when I saw those three. I thought, oh, you know what? We make fun of names like, well, Endless Weekend or Sweater Weather or that sort of thing. But if I pick up a candle and it says Blueberry Pie, I have a very clear sense of what that is supposed to smell like. And if it doesn't smell like what I think Blueberry Pie is supposed to smell like, I'm not buying that candle. Whereas Endless Weekend, like it, I looked at that and I thought, oh, it's actually brilliant. They're like, oh, it's Endless Weekend. What does that smell like? Well, what do you want it to smell like? Anything. It's a Rorschach test. Like you pick up a candle called Daydream, and you're like, "Oh, sure." I think they they've skewed more toward the the blueberry pies of the world, from what I can tell, than than the endless weekends. Uh, but but hey, there's a market for both. <laughs> there absolutely is. Um, this weekend. Uh, marks the 40th anniversary of the Miracle on Ice. If, if by the way, if you look at the press release okay. uh, for L Brands, it now just does feature Bath and Body Works, uh, you know, as as the picture surrounding the press release online. There, that, there is no mention of of Victoria's Secret. That's smart. Yeah, they're already talking their own book. Um, this weekend, 40th anniversary of Miracle on Ice, uh, the the 1980 Olympics, when the U.S. amateur hockey team pulled the massive upset, maybe the greatest upset in sports, beating the USSR. And you were there. I was there, yes. You were in the building for this. Um, I, like anyone else who, or like almost everyone else who watched this game, I was watching at home um, on tape delay yeah, on, on, on my black and white television. A rerun. Yeah. But, but, uh, but you saw it live. What Memories do you have of that game? Because I know that whatever memories you have are going to be authentic. Because for some reason, well, probably because you were there, you still haven't seen Miracle, which is the really, really well done Disney movie um, from 2004. That is true, and I think although this wasn't intentional, going forward, it probably is going to be intentional to not watch the movie. That is, I have. The actual memories, as as fragmented as they are after forty years, and if I watch Miracle, I will have I will remember it differently. Yeah, and I, I might remember it more accurately, but it it just will be a different experience than the actual memories I have, um, which were are, are a great one. I mean, it's, it's up there, you know, with the best memories one could have of being a. a Lifelong sports fan, and um, you know, also lifelong American. Those two worked out very well that day. They did. Um, so that was the day we defeated communism. <laughs> um, so, if I'm doing the math correctly, I think you were in your early 20s, and I'm wondering at what point during I was six. <laughs> at what point? Or somewhere between six and early 20s. Yeah. Who can recall? Who can recall? At, at what point during the game did you think? 
I think we're going to win this? Or was it really one of those things? Because I remember watching it at home. The U.S. spoiler alert: the U.S. takes the lead in the third period, and the last ten minutes of the game is just on the edge of your seat. Like, holy cow, is this actually going to happen? And it was, it was relentless. Couple of things. One, um, so I. The reason that I was there is that uh, my parents have a place in, in the Adirondacks, not too far from Lake Placid, and all property owners uh, were basically able to order, from what I can recall, virtually however many tickets they wanted to whatever events they wanted about a year, year and a half before the actual Olympics. Back when the Olympics was a quaint little business. Lake Placid was the only uh, site that applied. To host the Olympics in 1980. Wait, the only site in America or the only site on Globally. planet Earth? <laughs> wow. Were, they, it was a competition of one. And for those that have been to Lake Placid, uh, it, it, it's a tiny place. And, and so the Olympics uh, have become much bigger. The Winter Olympics, by separating from the, the uh, Summer Olympics year, have become bigger. Uh, by being on that staggered, uh, you know, two-year delay from the Summer Olympics, and you just—I don't think you could host uh, the the Winter Olympics in Lake Placid anymore. It's too big, uh, and so we, for some reason, we had two blocks of tickets, and I uh, switched seats to. to I, I can't remember why this was necessary, but I. Uh, was in one seat for the first period, another seat for the second period, and then back to my original seat for the third period. And that coincided with the way the teams switch sides of the ice. And so I was always on the side with uh, the U.S. goal and goalie, Jim Craig, which I was, I, I was disappointed about when we were scoring the goals. And I had a better view. I was like sort of blue line-ish. Um, but the entire last part of the game, from what I recall, happened down on the U.S. goal side of the ice. So, when did I first think we might win? I don't know, with about five seconds left. Because <laughs> it, it looked like it was inevitable that, that Russia was going to war, as they called themselves at the time, Soviet Union. Not everybody remembers that. Uh, that's, uh, it just seemed inevitable that, that they were going to score like five goals, given, given how good they were and how Relentless, uh, and how many shots on goal there seemed to be, and also the fact that um, not only had they months earlier played a team of professional all stars from the United States and just destroyed them, they also played an exhibition game against the same U.S. amateur team right before the Olympics in Madison Square Garden and beat them like I don't know ten to one something like that. Like just it wasn't even close. Yeah. It was the first time that I can remember hearing the chant USA, USA. I don't remember probably ever being at a sporting event where, you know, I was watching a US team. I was at other events for the Olympics and there weren't USA chants for, you know, the US downhill skier or anything like that. The luge. Boy, what and and if you're ever at the Winter Olympics, don't go to the bobsled or the luge. Uh, they're just you see about a tenth of a second of action, and then you stand around freezing in the cold the rest of the time. You can't. You can't see. I mean, you would much rather watch that on TV than live. The ski jump has got to be pretty good though, live, wouldn't it? 
Yeah, still cold, but yes, you you see the Look, whole jump. You see, you just you can't see the whole bobsled run or the whole luge run. That's the nature of the course. It's the Winter Olympics. You know what you're signing up for with the cold. So like, you, you don't get to complain about the it's like if if ever you're hey. in a conversation with someone and they're like, I went to the Winter Olympics, and and if they start complaining about the cold, you get you're legally allowed to slap them. All right. So I remember. The temperatures, and you're from Maine, so you can tell me whether this is right or not. As being in the negative twenties for that week. Now you've, I mean, you've. No, wait, wait, hold on. You grew up at or near the North Pole. Like, were those temperatures ones that you ever had? Sure. Negative twenty, negative thirty. Yeah. Yeah. But you, I, I want to be very. Uh, careful about this. You said that's what you remember. Was that the actual temperature? I believe it was in the negative 30s, but I, I pair it back because it seems to me now like that can't be true. That's isn't that like zero Kelvin? Like it can it get that cold? Have and you, you being from me, this is why I'm turning to you. You you, what's the coldest you can remember it being? Um, yeah, 30 below. I can, yeah, I, I remember a couple of times uh, when I was a kid where it was it was thirty below. And it was like, no, 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 it's it's really like don't spend a lot of time outside. It's really cold out there. Yeah, uh, so that's what I, I, you know, you could look it up, but I remember it being negative thirty. Oh, I'm absolutely going to look this up. <laughs> Not right now because we got to get out of here because we're well past the point of investing. Bill Barker, thanks for being here. Thank you. Uh, thanks for listening. Again, check out our free investing starter kit. Just go to fool.com slash starter kit. I'll include the link uh, in the description of this show. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based only on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.